Welcome to Marin Covenant Church. Again, my name is Ben Kearns. We're really glad that you've joined us this fine morning. And uh, we don't normally like to make a binary choice. It kind of causes all sorts of anxiety. But for the sake of this morning, you have to pick a side, okay? A or B. And uh, these are the two choices. You are either an indoor person or an outdoor person. All right? I know I could see some of you are like, where's this going? All right, so I want to know. Let's commit. If, are, raise your hand if you're an outdoorsy person. Are you an outdoorsy person? All right. And uh, raise your hand if you're like the indoorsy sort of person. Tori's like, yeah, you can be bold. That's right. Indoorsy people making everything super beautiful. Awesome. Well, I, uh, I am an outdoorsy person. And um, you know, when you're, when you're younger, maybe some people, well, as they get older, but we, we see the whole world through our own lens. And so I assumed everybody was an outdoorsy person, right? I thought, I love being outdoors. You must love being outdoors. And so everything I did, I would just take people and make them go and be outdoors with me. And when I was a youth pastor, my favorite thing I would ever do would take a group of kids and go backpacking. I'm like, this is the dream. I'm taking you kids off your screens and we're going out into creation and you're going to see these most beautiful things. Um, but it turns out not everybody likes the outdoors. And I knew I was in big trouble. We were on this like 12 mile um, outdoor adventure and a quarter mile in this, this young girl, Pam, she goes, is this all we're doing? And I knew, okay, this is not going to go well. This is not going to go well at all. And slowly and surely I've learned, I've learned after like 15 years of marriage when my wife's not an outdoors person. So I'm a slow learner and we're figuring out, but me, I am an outdoor person. For me, when I am outside, when I am in creation, when I experience the beauty and, uh, of creation in all of its forms, I like, God meets me in those places. It's like the thin place. Like I recognize God's beauty, his power, his creativity. I feel like when I'm outdoors, I can actually like talk to God and I can hear from him and I'm not so distracted. It's like, it is my place. And we live here in the most beautiful place of the whole wide world. And thankfully you indoor people have made um, some indoor spaces great, but we live in those beautiful spaces. I just want to share with you a couple of my most favorite spaces. Um, this one is, this is Mount Burdell. This is right behind my house. Um, we live on this, this big uh, hill right behind us, Mount Burdell, right? This looks like Brigadoon. No, this is my house. Like in the certain seasons, right? In the summer, it's the worst and smells like dog, I mean, uh, you know, cow manure. But in the winter, it is beautiful. And so I will go up there, I'll take my dog and we'll go these hikes. And I just feel like that is my spot to talk with God, especially, man, if things are not going well at home or in my world, I go up there and I just like work it out, right? And God, like we wrestle it out. It is my spot. I love it. Um, on Friday mornings, there's a group of us, we go out surfing in Bolinas. I'm not an athlete. I, it's hard being an outdoor person, but not an athlete, but I love being outdoors. And so Friday mornings, it's sunrise, right? It's clear and it's crisp and the sun's come up over the mountain. Sometimes pelicans will like swoop on in. You're like, whoa, this is awesome and it's quiet and beautiful, and my heart just goes, yes, this is my spot. It is so beautiful. Another spot is Sugar Bowl. Um, I love snowboarding. Again, I'm not athletic at all, but I love it, right? I put on all the gear, and especially um, right after it snows, and it's quiet, and it's beautiful, and clean, and crisp, and uh, sometimes I'll get in over my head and like get in big time trouble and have to walk down the hill or whatever, but I don't care because I'm outdoors in it, loving being in God's creation. And then my all-time, my all-time favorite place, I want to go there all the time, but my life doesn't totally afford it. But this is Aloha Lake in Desolation Wilderness. It's like the poor man's Yosemite. Um, you know, if you've ever been to Desolation Wilderness, on your way to South Lake Tahoe, it's right there. It's like three hours door to door. And it is the most beautiful, mesmerizing place ever. And when I go backpacking in Desolation Wilderness, it is like, God's like, all right, we're going to take care of some business. It is my spot. 
And I love it so much, I want to make sure my kids even went. So here's a picture of my kids back when they were cute. Uh, I took a picture of them to, to, to remember, remember how great that is. And my kids, again, not outdoors people, but they tolerate once a year, they're willing to go backpacking with me because they know I love it so much. Now, whether you're an outdoor person or you're an indoor person or whether you're a foodie or whether you love beautiful things or tradition, right? We all have certain things. And when we encounter those certain things, we just love them. It brings us such joy. But if we're honest, it's kind of a fleeting joy, right? You can be outside and you have this incredible moment, but, you know, after a few hours, it kind of gets cold and you don't like it so much, right? You can have the most foodie person on the planet and love rich, great food, but after so much food, you're like, oh, it kind of, there's an end to it. And so we have all these fleeting experiences of joy, but what God wants to invite us in is to rich and lasting joy. And this is kind of our thesis for the whole Christmas season. Christmas, it's such a meaningful season because it taps into our deepest longings for true and lasting joy. And that's what we want to be as the people of God, to recognize that God, who's the creator of all this beauty, of all these incredible things, of all these incredible experiences, God is the one who's the provider of this joy. And if we want true and lasting joy, we need to like move from taking all of our attention and effort onto the created things and moving them towards the creator. And that's going to where we're going to kind of go this morning. And so for what we decided to do for Advent is we're going to preach through joy of the world. So this is verse number two, joy of the world, repeat the sounding joy. Let's take a look at this verse together. Verse verse two of joy of the world. Joy of the world, the Savior reigns, let all their songs employ. Gosh, and I mean, that's it. The, the, the core of the Christian message is that Jesus, the Savior, has been born, a Messiah, right? The Savior has been born. And when we actually come to faith in Christ, when we recognize this incredible gift of salvation and being adopted into God's family and know who we are and know what it means to follow him, right? We're, we're, we're brought up and we feel this sense of joy. We have to share it. We have to proclaim it. Every Christian for all of time, there's been some sort of internal need to go and share that joy with the whole world. And what's interesting, though, what I love about this verse in verse 2 is we're not just sharing with the whole world. We're actually sharing it with all of creation. This is such a cool part of the, the verse. While fields and floods, rocks and hills and plains, they repeat the sounding joy. You see, God created the entire universe, right? When we are experienced creation and we recognize this from God, we go, oh my goodness, God has done this amazing thing. But the way that he crafted creation is that creation itself cries out, proclaims God's goodness, proclaims God's power, proclaims God's authority and sovereignty. All of creation does that. And when we, these rebellious kids, come back to God, are adopted into his family, we then get to join with all of creation, with all the angels, with all of creation, we join um, repeating this sounding joy. And so that's what we're going to take a look at um, more and more this morning, because we want to join with creation. And for me, like I said, creation is one of those powerful things that I feel like instantly gets me there, instantly gets me there. And so I resonate uh, with the shepherds. I resonate with ancient people who just like being outside. And I resonate with like not being on a screen and having time to think and process, right? And that's what people all before us used to do all the time. And, uh, and so we're going to take a look at this Psalm 19, because you understand the shepherds, they knew the story of creation. And at Christmas time, we love the story of the shepherds, and we're going to get to them in a second. But shepherds in general, they loved uh, creation. They understood the story of creation. I mean, you're outdoors 
all the time. You're sleeping outdoors on your back, looking at all the sky, looking at all the majesty. Uh, You're having all these animals all around you, and you understood where you fit in the giant cosmos. It was a huge thing. Now, if you're a shepherd in any culture, that would be a thing. But if you were a Jewish shepherd, you actually knew the story of creation. Because you were a Jewish shepherd, I mean, you may not have been that smart, right? Because you ended up being a shepherd, but you were, grew up around all the stories. You didn't right, have Netflix all the time. You sat around and you told the stories. They, the stories of the Torah were told over and over and over again. And so you knew that God handcrafted the world. In all sorts of other ancient cultures, right? If you were on a sailing ship and you headed off the Mediterranean, you were worried if a, if a big storm came, there'd be some giant Leviathan that's gonna come up out of the water and wipe you out. And so there's like sea gods that you had to be scared of, right? Or giant storms, there's like sky gods, or what if you wanted to rain, were there rain gods, right? All of creation is so powerful, but it's also so chaotic. And so people didn't know what to do. And so all the different parts of creation were believed, right, to be different gods that were associated with all of those, with all different parts of creation. But if you were a follower of Yahweh, if you were a Jewish shepherd, you knew that you didn't have to be scared. You knew that you didn't have to be scared of all the terrors and all the things that happened in nature because it wasn't nature, it was creation. You knew the story that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? You knew the story that God, they weren't gods, but there was God who was sovereign over all things. And over all the things that God made, he saw that it was good, especially us humans. And David, uh, King David, when he was uh, younger, he was a shepherd and he spent all this time being out in the fields and God gave him the gift of poetry. And uh, just like poets and musicians now, I'm so mesmerized by them. David was one of those people and he had this reflection, which I think is awesome. In Psalm 19, it says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no words. I'm sorry, they have no speech and they use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. And in the heaven, God has pitched a tent for the sun. And he goes on and on and on. This whole verse is this beautiful picture of understanding that these stars we're looking at, they're screaming the glory of God. They're screaming the power of God, the authority of God. And we as his creations get to enjoy that. And so all of creation is pointing to God, right? That's what the whole point of creation does. It shouts out, it praises God, but it also points to God. And we live in a context where we've actually sometimes we've given up um, we no longer look at God who's created all, but we're only looking at the things that are pointing to them. And so the, the, the idea is that we actually have a misunderstanding of the story of creation. So the ancients, I think, had a better understanding, even if they had just a, a minimal understanding. And for sure, the Jewish shepherds had a good understanding. But we live in a culture and a context where we have a very um, humo- uh, humongous misunderstanding of the story of creation. So my son, when he was younger, um, we took him to doctors and, uh, and they, they, he did an eye test and it turned out that he was almost blind. And we had no idea as his parents. That, you know what a bummer that is? Like I thought he was just a complainer and I thought his teachers were like, you know, his te- he was just bothering his teachers. And finally we took it, you know, teachers said, hey, you should probably give your kid an eye exam. We go, we give him an eye exam. It turned out his eyesight was like worse than his mom's. We're like, oh my goodness, what kind of parents are we? And uh, so we go and we, you know, we get them all fitted for glasses and the whole sort of thing. And uh, we didn't really think much of it because, you know, you can't tell when someone says, hey, your kid needs glasses. You don't really know what that means, right? They just know they need glasses. And so we finally, he gets his glasses. We leave Kaiser and we're driving home. And no joke, Noah looks out the windows and is like, 
whoa, I can see there's leaves on all these trees. And we're like, oh. That is like not a proud parenting moment. You're like, how long have you not known that trees had leaves on them, you know? I'm your dad, this is your mom. You know, like the whole thing is like, oh my goodness, like, it was, it was a little alarming, right? But really, like, that is us. We see through this lens that is super cloudy. And, and we've been given pointers to help us understand who we are and who God is. And so we have creation. Creation is one of those pointers, but we have this lens. And so we actually don't really get a good, a good understanding. And uh, thankfully, Paul makes it super clear in Romans chapter 1. He says this. For since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen. Isn't that crazy? That if you are a super smart, intuitive, reflective person, you can sit around and observe the world and actually get to know a lot about who God is, and a lot about who we are. I mean, it it does make sense, right, that the most wise and reflective people in all of human history from all over the world say a lot of very similar things about human nature, about the human condition, about what makes humans work, about the world in which we live. God set it up that way because he is the creator of all those things. But even though he set up all those things, we still have a blind spot because it goes on in verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being in birds and animals and reptiles. And so there's this really weird thing that happens when, when we give up worshiping God and worship the, the created things of God, our minds get small, our hearts get small, right? It's like all of creation is this giant finger pointing up towards God saying, that is where God is. And imagine worshiping God, that's going to change everything. But if you go, look at that hand pointing to the air and you start becoming like finger pointer worshipers, right? That would really mess us up. If if a finger pointer was the thing that you worship, your entire life would change. And the reality is we've all done things like that. We all have moved God out of his rightful spot of being the king over all of creation, the king over our lives. And we've put other things there. Creation itself, religiosity, traditions, right? Those are incredible things. Those are things that are meant to point towards God. But if those become the center of our worship, our hearts and our minds become small and dull right? Food, so good. But if you worship it, not good. Right? Sex, so good. But if you worship it, it's not good. Our careers or making some money is so good. But if you worship it, right? And all of us, if we're honest, we're all tempted and, and, and there's others, we all have unique things that sit there in our hearts. But whatever that is, if it is the created thing, it's going to make our heart small, it's going to make our, our world small, and it's going to give us a demented understanding of who God is, of who we are, and what we're called to do, right? And so if we put something else on the throne that isn't God, all of a sudden we live in fear because that thing that we're trying to fulfill us isn't going to fulfill us. It isn't going to solve all the problems, and we live in this state of fear. I and mean, no one wants that. 
And, and, and then if we're not worshiping God, then we don't understand who we are as human beings. We don't understand how we work. We don't understand how the world works. We don't understand why we're having troubles or with the things, all the things that are happening. And so we end up living with this deep sense of shame that just captures every part about who we are. And if we live in fear and we live in shame, and then we, we're supposed to do things with our lives, we don't know how do we live. And then we're getting all this like, feedback from our, our kids or our spouses or our employers or in our own guts that we're not living the way we should be living. We live with this sense of guilt. And so much of the world, so much of us are paralyzed because instead of worshiping the creator and being so filled with lasting joy, right, we're filled with fear, we're filled with shame, and we're filled with guilt. And what's funny is the only difference is we started worshiping the pointer finger and not the one who point, where the finger is pointing. That's the only thing that's happened. And Christmas and Advent is simply the help. It's the reminder. It's the recalibration of our brains that goes, hey, Christmas is great. These traditions are great. All these things we do, like it's so deep in us to have all these traditions, but those traditions simply point us to Jesus, who is our Savior and is our Messiah. Now, what I love about Scripture and what I love about the point that we live in is that we don't have to be super smart people. We don't have to be the masterminds. We don't have to figure it all out because there are people that have gone before us. And even more so, not just that people have gone before us, but God himself has gone before us. So in order to fully understand the story of creation, we actually need revelation. We actually need God to intervene because, you see, we all by ourselves, like Scripture says, just observing creation, you actually can understand a ton But because we're sinful, because we're broken, because we have this lens, we will never fully understand all that God longs for us to be, all that God longs for us to have. And so God in his graciousness has given us revelation, right? God invaded our space to help clarify who God is, who he is, who we are, and what he longs for us to be. And so now we're going to finally get to the Christmas story, to the shepherds, to these good Jewish shepherds who knew the story of God, who recited the Psalms, who understand all of creation pointing towards God, but they didn't have the full picture. And angels, God's messengers themselves, showed up and gave them revelation. So here we are in Luke chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. It says this. So there were shepherds living out in their fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. Love that part of the story. But then the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. All of a sudden, here it is, revelation, that today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. To everybody else, he's just this little baby. But the shepherds got the picture from God that this little baby is the Savior, he is the Messiah, and he is the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And then suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest of heavens, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. That is awesome. Now, even though I'm a pastor, and I'm an awesome pastor at that, right? God has never shown up to me like that. Never. Not even remote. Even when I'm out hiking. I mean, one time I got pummeled by a wave, but still he did not show up like that. But that's what's so cool. Revelation, there are these moments in time where God shows up 
And he helps those. We don't have to know everything. There's been people that God has shown up for. There's been the scriptures that have been stewarded for us through time so that we actually have this giant path. Like we don't need to be carving our own path. There's a giant path for us to understand how do we capture this true and lasting joy. And the way that we get there is to recognize that the king over all of creation has come to save us. This baby on Christmas morning that we lean towards that has all this nostalgic, warm-hearted goodness, this baby is actually not the baby, but this baby is the king over all of creation. And this baby, who is the king, has come to save us. And thankfully, Christians over the centuries has helped us understand what that means so that even a knucklehead like me can understand. And even smart people like you can still understand because people have gone before us to clarify the picture. What I love is in Colossians. So the, the, the shepherds had this moment of, uh, of, of revelation, which was great. But then Paul, I love Paul because he helps then take all that and makes it in a way that makes sense to someone like me. Here in Colossians chapter one, it says this, the sun is the image of the invisible God because, okay, God's invisible. Because God's invisible, we can make God be whoever we want. But Jesus came to say, no, you can't make God to be whoever you want. Jesus is who God. So if you want to know who, what God is like, you look to Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the king of creation. And someone who loves creation, right? It's like, oh my goodness, all of this beauty that we get to experience in the world, Jesus is the king of it all. It was all made for him and through him and points to him. And what a thing I miss if I just take all that for me and to find temporary joy. And God's like, no, if you want true and lasting joy, recognize, right, I am the king of that. Goes on in verse 18, it says that Jesus is the head of the body of the church he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. So Jesus not only is king over all of creation, Jesus is also head of the church. He's our king. Part of the Christian journey of moving towards Christ is submitting ourselves to recognize that we aren't rulers of the world. We aren't even rulers of our lives. Jesus is the ruler, and part of our journey is to submit under him, to have him shape how we understand him, how we understand ourselves and understand the world. And then verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And at the end of the day, that is it. Jesus came to earth longing to reconcile all of creation. This broken creation that is at war and turmoil, that is just causing death and destruction everywhere, Jesus came to establish his kingdom on the earth, over the church, and to reconcile all of us. The whole arc of the story of Christ is ultimately this baby becomes a man who becomes this incredible teacher and rabbi, and finally this atoning sacrifice that covers all of our sin, that allows you and me into the throne room of grace, sitting at the big table at Christmas, around the people of God with God at the head as his daughters and sons. Gosh, I mean, that is good time, good news for all of us. And so I love is the, the, the shepherds, right? They have this experience. They didn't get all of that, 
but they have this experience. And that Luke chapter 2, verse 20, after they've had, the angels have come and said, listen, the, the Savior has come, the Messiah, the Lord, they then go back and verse 20 says, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they have heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Because that is the natural response. The natural response when God shows up and says, listen, all of this beautiful thing, all the things that bring you joy, imagine the things that bring you joy, times a bazillion, the creator of all those things shows up and clarifies, says, listen, I am now the king. I am the savior. I am the Lord. You're compelled to worship. You're compelled to come under that authority. And what's incredible is once you take God and make him the king, all of a sudden you don't have to live in fear anymore. Right? We all have things that we have, we're anxious about. We have good days and bad days. There's really joyful, hopeful seasons. There's really challenging and valley of the shadow of death seasons. But we don't have to be in fear because God is the ruler. He is the king. And the more that we put our faith in the creator and not the created things, right? fear is one of those things that begins to dissipate. And he's our savior, which means the more we recognize that our identity is rooted as being a daughter and son of the God most high. Once we realize that that is our identity, all of a sudden shame goes out the window, right? When we experience shame, it's because we realize people are gonna find out that we're not all that we think we are. We work so hard to pretend that we're somebody we're not. And if somebody finds out, we have this gross shame and we hide, right? But once we recognize that we have been reconciled, once we recognize that we are God's most precious daughters, most precious sons, shame goes away. And then God's invited us to live a certain way, to be these holy and righteous people, to be people and co-laborers who are going to be part of expanding the kingdom of God. When, we, when that becomes us, also we have to live in guilt because we know how we're supposed to live. And then when we crash and burn, we don't have to feel bad about it because Jesus has already paved a way for forgiveness, to be reconciled back with him. So this incredible gift that God has given us, all the things of creation, all the things that bring us joy to have true and lasting joy, come when we put our faith in the king. And he becomes our king, we become his people, and then we live for him. So let's go back to verse two. Verse two says this, right? Joy to the world, the savior reigns. And how cool that the God who is king over all creation isn't an authoritarian tyrant, but he's this humble and gentle king who is our savior. He is who reigns. And the more that we can get our head around that, right, all of a sudden it causes us to have our songs employ. I don't even really know what that means, but I'm figuring it, right, that we tell others, like we're compelled to worship, we're compelled to share, we're compelled to pass it on. I mean, what, like we, it happens all the time with good news, right? My, my son, he's part of like this, this high school football team, we're going to the state championship. Like my phone's blowing up, we're like, ooh, Sanford in high school, I've never had more school pride in my entire life. And I'm like, I'm calling people, my dad's calling like, Right? It brings me joy. Like I'm part of this thing. And you know what? In two months, it's going to be over. Well, in a week, it's going to be over. Like I'm, it's not going to be a thing. It's, it's not lasting joy. Imagine understanding the things that are eternal. We are compelled to tell other people. And what's so fun, at least what captures my heart, because someone who just loves creation, what captures my heart is that, that we, um, we get to worship God, but then we actually get to join with creation. Fields and floods, Rocks and hills and plains, they all repeat the sounding joy. You see, what the psalmist understood is that all of creation is already worshiping God. They're already about it. 
we are invited to be worshipers of God, but because of our sin and brokenness, we miss it. And the more we are invited into the, the family of God, then now we get to join with all of creation. Listen to this in Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him from the heights above. Praise him, all the angels. Praise him, all of his heavenly hosts. Praise him, the sun and the moon. Praise him, you, shine, you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens, you waters and skies above. Right, this goes on and on and on. Praise him, fields. Praise him, floods. Praise him, rocks and hills and plains. They're all going to repeat the sounding joy. And we, as God's people, we get to verse number two. We get to participate in the proclamation of God's love and God's joy. And so really, this is an invitation for you to join with all of creation to repeat the sounding joy. This is what we want to invite you to this Christmas Eve, that part of um, or this whole Christmas season, we do these rich traditions. But again, those traditions point us to God. We have really beautiful things. All those beautiful things point us to God. And how great it is when you can acknowledge and be grateful and thankful for all of the beautiful things. Jeff and I were talking with a couple of people this last week um, about the movement of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works. And he said the thing which I thought was so great that we were, people are going around sharing. And if you've ever like been in a thing where you share and say, hey, a high, low, here's a good thing or here's a bad thing. But then he asked this follow-up question, which I've been thinking about all week, which is whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, where was the Holy Spirit in that thing? You see, the Holy Spirit is already at work. The Holy Spirit is already in that thing. The Holy Spirit is already at work. And so the invitation for you is to recognize everything is pointing towards God. Everything is pointing towards the glory of God. And you get to be invited to have eyes to see. And so what we're going to do is we're going we're to do a little discipline as a church. In front of you is a, is a card. And in that card, we want you to be part of repeating the sounding joy. Because what happens is when you recognize that God is alive and you start worshiping the creator and not just the creative things, you're going to be compelled um, to share that. Your life is going to be compelled, right, to, to be um, identified with joy. And that's going to be who you are. But there's also people in your world who love God, have been shaped by God. And because of that, um, you are seeing God alive and at work in them. You see the fruit in them. And so what we want to do is we want to have eyes to see. We want to see where is God already at work. And we want to repeat the joy, right? I'm going to, God's doing this thing in me and I'm going to become this kind of person. But where else is God alive and active? And we want to share the joy and, and call out the joy where we see, right? And what's so fun is if you've been a Christian forever and you exude joy like Roger, Roger is like my guy, right? If you want to know joy, you can hang out with Roger. Like, Roger, the fruit of the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is doing in you, I see that you are a joy-filled person. I recognize God is alive. God is active. In fact, whenever I'm near you, I'm drawn to worship the Creator instead of the created thing. That might be all too much of a card. My handwriting is bad, but that's for you, right? So there's people in your life, right, that, you, that they exude the character of God, who exude joy, that you just want to recognize that God's alive. And by doing that, you're fanning the flame and you're encouraging them, and you're repeating the sounding joy. And here's what's super wild. Maybe they aren't even a Christian yet, but God is at work. And even non-Christians, right, who, people who haven't given their faith to Christ, God is already at work, and there's things in them that God is doing. And how fun that you get to call that out and go, oh my goodness, I see this incredible attribute in you, and I just want to let you know that what a blessing you are. And you get to help you know, prime the pump that maybe God will use for them to come to know Christ. And so I'm going to give you just three whole minutes to be quiet, to thank God 
for who he is, for thank God for revelation, for thank God for being our king and our savior. But I'd love for you to just consider who is someone in your life who exudes lasting joy and to affirm them, to bless them, to thank them and to write them a little note in a way that's not creepy, but that's from you, right? And then would encourage you this week to, to mail it and send it off and be an encouragement to them. If you know their address and all that here, uh, you can put in the baskets and we'll even mail it off to you. We'll mail it off for you, right? So I'm just gonna give you just a few minutes to be quiet, both to write the note, but to also reflect and to also pray and thank God for his people that he's bringing to mind. So let's take a few minutes and do that. We're so blessed to live in a time when there's huge wide paths already made for us that point us to God. We're thankful for the scriptures and for revelation. We're thankful for the sacraments which we're about to participate in. We're thankful for the Christians who have gone before us who model what a life in Christ is all about. And all those things are simply pointing to the giver of all the good gifts so that we may find true and lasting joy. And as we come to the table, the table is another expression bread and it's juice, but it's more than just bread and juice. It's a sacrament. It invites us in to the presence of God, to the mystery of God, to re-again tell the story of not just the birth of Christ, but his death and his resurrection, the broken Savior who was shed for us so that we may be reconciled to him. And so it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he poured it. And as he poured it, he said, this is the cup, the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. Let's drink the cup together. For as often as we eat this bread and for often as we drink this cup, we proclaim, we proclaim the Lord's death and his resurrection. And we long for him to come back and to make all things right. We do all this for the glory of Jesus, both now and forevermore. Let me pray for us and then we'll continue in worship. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, we're so thankful for the way that you are so generous and long-suffering for your incredible power and creativity and for the ways that you've just created the cosmos, created the earth, created us. I just pray that you forgive me and forgive us for worshiping the things that you've made instead of you. So this morning, tune our eyes back to you. We worship you, Jesus. We recognize that you are king over creation. You are king over the church. You are king over our lives for you are our savior you've saved us in every way you've given us a new identity 
and you've empowered us through the ministry of your Holy Spirit to be your co-laborers, to be about your business on earth until you come and make it all right. So we love you. And all of God's kids said, amen and amen. Let's stand as we continue to worship together.